What's up, Jeff? Going on, Trey? I feel so bad that you have to come in at the end of where we at in society, which is the most grotesque bit in all of Austin media. But it is what it is, and it leads to some interesting conversations as well. I I think sometimes the worst possible segue just makes it an easy segue. You know, that's true. It's like, hey, there's no way that we could seamlessly transition now into this new hour. Uh, as we kind of change the roster a little bit and I switch in for BK. So it's like, hey, you know, talk about some guy's nuts going into his stomach. Like, you know, you can't can't move on from that quickly. So you just, we just got to do what we got to do, I guess. So dirty little secret for Austin Media. As much as we love football season, we all love the break that we get for the usually one bye week during the Texas Longhorns football season. It was nice to not have to worry about getting to a game or doing pregame or doing postgame just to get the weekend off, to kick back and to focus on some other things. Maybe it's watching a little bit more football. Maybe it's youth sports. What was the bye week like for you this weekend? So, yes, Saturday is nice because, like you said, we actually get to watch a little bit of football. Yeah. Um, And then Friday night, you and I were talking about this earlier, I actually made the uh, about hour and 40-minute trek down to Hallettsville the nice, beautiful, small town of Hallettsville, 3A football. And um, obviously, Texas fans will know that's the hometown of Jonathan Brooks. So they were doing a jersey retirement for him. I don't know these numbers specifically or like, I don't know if these are exact off the top of my head, but I want to say his senior year, he led them. Well, I know this for a fact. He led them to a state runner-up finish. And if you don't, if you haven't seen the end of that 3A championship game, it's worth a Google search. It's brutal, brutal way to end. They like lost on a goal line play at the end. Um, yeah, just go go look it up. It'll be on Valley Sports Southwest YouTube page or something like that. But you know, Jonathan, I think had tons of touchdowns in that game, some sort of record. I and I want to say Jonathan uh, Jonathan Gray Alito back when he was there, he's the only person to have more total touchdowns than Brooks had his senior year in 2020 in Hallettsville. Brooks had 70 total touchdowns, and is just like a total legend down there. So when I heard they were doing the Jersey retirement, I was like, well, this times out really well with he's kind of the breakout star. Well, not kind of, he is the breakout star on offense for Texas. I mean, you know, we knew about Xavier. We knew, we knew about Quinn and and all these guys and um, really had almost no tape on Brooks before the season. So yeah, they told us about that. I thought that would be cool. So went down and did a little feature story for the show. And you you mentioned how the bye week opens up, doors and windows to do different things that you know we can't normally do during the rest of the season so that was kind of cool to go down there and uh kind of get to see just what the hometown means to him and what he means to the hometown because a lot of these guys that we cover like you know quinn's from south lake uh big metro area top-notch program tons of guys have come out of there so it's cool when you get to go to a small town like that where there's like one dude i mean they you know they've had some guys i think way back when um, maybe one other guy I want to say they were telling me made the NFL and they have a player, a baseball player at AM right now. But I mean, he is like the hometown hero, hometown legend over there. So um, that was really cool to get to see and just put together a big piece that we wouldn't otherwise have time to run. Yeah. And great piece, by the way. Kudos to you on that one. You can Thank go you. to CBSAustin.com to watch that right no, don't do it right now. Wait until after the show is over. <laughs> you can do, do that tonight. At some point later today. Yeah, later this evening after the uh, Astros-Rangers game is over with. 
But uh, it was a great piece by you. And when I first heard that 70 number, I was like, wait a second. That number doesn't even make sense. I like triple checked it, Trey. I was like, because he had 65 rushing touchdowns. And I think he must have had like kick returns or like a couple uh-huh. pick sixes. I know at one of the games I went to in 2020, they played over um, at, I think, Berkelbach Field in Georgetown. And he had an interception and like five touchdowns in the first half while I was there. Because for people that don't know, like when you watch the local news, like 90% of the time, that's those are the snippets that we go get. It's like somebody goes and gets it and then brings it back or feeds it back from the station or from the field to the station for 10. Um, so usually we only shoot the first half of the game. And I was like, what video do I have of this guy? Oh, five touchdowns of the 24 minutes of high school football I watched him play in person. Well, and so in thinking about it, I thought about that 70 number. I'm like, there's no way Jeff would say that because that number would sound odd to him too. So no doubt he double, triple checked it, which you did. And then I thought about it. It's like, well, if the guy played 15 games, then it's not far-fetched to think that at that level, he's scoring between four and five, five touchdowns a game, which is what the numbers average out to. He's making it all the way to the state championship game, the runner-up finish that you Uh, that you talked about, but that's still a crazy number to think about, that a guy is getting into the end zone four to five times a game. And look, there was probably a game that he had like a seven or eight touchdown game because he had a nine, he had a nine touchdown game, nine touchdown game. Yeah. His senior season in high school. That is crazy. Also when, when the coaches were intro in his Jersey retirement, they're going through all the accolades. Yeah. See, CB says Jonathan Gray. He thinks Jonathan Gray holds the national record. I know he holds the Texas record, um, but yeah, they were going through the the accolades and the coach made a good point. He goes, he probably could have broken the record, but they didn't even play him in the second half in a lot of games. It's kind of like a quarterback who, you know, yeah. and maybe doesn't play in the second half because they have six blowouts and six close-ish games. That happened. So pretty, yeah, pretty insane. Uh, the high school career that he had and, like I said, I think um, maybe it's just because I have a little bit of an affinity for it as a big city guy where, you know, we would pack stadiums and, you know, people would go from different communities in L.A. where I grew up to see some of the top players and those kind of things. Um, but just the, the community aspect of it, like, I mean, you're walking around and people were like, oh, my God, the news is here. The news is here. You know, and they're like, oh, he's they're like following Jonathan around and they had to like pull him away. Cause the dude just would have been signing autographs for people in the community the entire time. And, and he really is like, I think people can tell if you see him interviewed, he's very well-spoken, but he's a shy guy at yeah. heart. It seems like at least with, you know, I'm sure his inner circle, it's always funny. Whenever I describe you guys go, oh, he's a shy, soft-spoken guy. And then the people that are closest to him are like, no, he's not. It's like, well, with the rest of us, he is like, that's kind of his personality to the, to the public. It seems like, He's just a humble, small-town dude who doesn't really, like, love all this attention. I mean, obviously loves playing well and being the starter at UT, but um, some guys are some guys are just like that. So, yeah, that was really cool to just kind of see into his world and what these, what these players mean to their communities. I agree with what you said about being from a bigger city and looking at what the football team means in a smaller community like that. I couldn't agree more. I feel like when you get to bigger city high school football, some of the other stuff starts coming into play. Like Allen is probably the best example here in the state where it's like they spend millions of dollars on a football facility and 
you know, there's a, a level of politics and look, the level, the politics is there in the small town, no doubt about that. But the, the, the political volume becomes much, much more intense as more money is on the line. It's just, uh, you know, th- those things work pretty much hand in hand with one another. But I loved seeing what that honor meant to Jonathan Brooks for a couple of different reasons. One, his brother also wore the same number. And so I thought was that was really cool too. Brother in on that. And then also something that I was completely unaware of that his dad had died. Was it 22? March of 22? Yeah, 2022. And he had had some, he died of kidney failure. Like he had had some, some, I think long time kidney issues. Um, and he, yeah, he passed away of that. I think he was only 49 years old too. And so the tattoo that everybody sees on his forearm like you can tell that it looks like Roman numerals. Well, those Roman numerals are the date that his dad passed away. And so, you know, whenever he points to that, the reason why he's pointing is because he's remembering his dad, because as much of a dream as it was for Jonathan Brooks to be starting running back for the University of Texas, it, it meant and means as much for his dad as it does for Jonathan. No, for sure. And that was that was a pretty emotional part of it. I mean, obviously, this setting that we were talking about it in was the game and all of the noise and kind of the, uh, you know, happiness of the game behind it. But yeah, I think that's, that's one of my favorite parts of the job is when we're able to kind of peel those layers back. And I know other people, I'll give credit, like other journalists in Austin have um, mentioned that. I think Jim Bertuno wrote a piece on it for the AP um, about why he does that, you know, and it's, it is cool. Like when you get to hear the stories of these guys and what it means and you're like, man, like not only when he was, waiting out Bijan, waiting out Roshan and itching to get on the field. He was going through this like, like personal adversity too with his family. And um, one cool part I thought about too, just some stuff they told me like, and I think Jim's piece touched on this too. Like, I guess like almost half the team got on a charter bus and went down to Hallettsville for the funeral when his dad passed away. You know, it was again, TV piece. Like you're like, man, I wish I could put in all these details because there were just so many great details. And, Jordan Whittington and Tavondre Sweat were there with him the entire game on Friday. They made the trip down with him. And Whittington's from Cuero, which is another small area right around the corner where they've got tons of football pride. And, um, you know, you could Google Jordan Whittington's family history with football. I mean, it's extensive and impressive. Well, speaking um, of championship games, that the last championship game he played was something special. And I, yeah, I don't know if Tom, I had, I think he has, I think he tied another Jonathan Gray record or something like that. Um, it's crazy yeah. how good Jonathan Gray was in high school and how it never completely translated. I know. I know there were some injury issues there, obviously, but. Well, and I think, you know, with the small town guys, like Brooks was only a three-star recruit. I think Whittington was, and Whittington and Gray, I guess both were the rare five-star guys from those really small towns because you know understandably at times i think these college these college coaches look at it and and go like is this going to translate sure he looks fast against you know shiner and schulenberg or whatever these small towns that they're playing um but is he going to look fast against uh, you know big 12 competition sec competition and in brooks's case it's it's translated every bit and then some like you, you look back and you go, wow, he actually was underrated in terms of stars and recruiting. And, you know, the recruiting services nowadays do a hell of a job. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to assess for those guys too. And they're some of the best in the business at it. 
But yeah, it's also not an exact science too. And you can only tell so much from certain kids, especially at those lower levels, because the competition is greatly diminished. And on the one hand, it's like, well, is this guy peaking physically at a level where he's going to dominate because the caliber of competition just isn't as good across the board? Or is it something where he hasn't had to push himself to a degree to where there is more room for growth once the competition itself increases? And you can never be totally sure. Like you can think you have a guy marked like Jonathan Gray was a five-star recruit. I believe he may have been the top rated running back in his class that year. And like he had an all right career at Texas, but he suffered uh, a couple of significant injuries, including that Achilles injury, if I'm remembering correctly. And that essentially shot his chances at professional ball. But then there's B. John Robinson's of the world who completely, uh, who end up ge- being completely nailed with regards to uh, how highly they were rated coming out of high school. He was a special player from the moment he set foot on campus and left Texas three years later as one of the all-time best to play that position at a, a position that this school has cranked out some really good running backs over the years. Yeah, and a guy that stepped on an NFL field and was unbelievable already. But the one one last thing on, on Jonathan Brooks, too, that I think the Texas staff deserves a lot of credit too for his development because if you look at him in high school i mean he had an impressive build but man he he looks and which is what should happen you know but he looks so much bigger better faster stronger now than he did um when he came into the program and obviously another situation where he was recruited the entire time by herman and um i think stan drayton sticking around probably helped him a lot because drayton um, was one of the ones that, you know, really led that recruitment, obviously being the running backs coach for the first year that he was here. Um, so that was huge. And then, yeah, credit to, you know, to Shard Choice and Sark and Tory Becton and all those guys that, you know, have developed him. And then also, again, to Jonathan for working his tail off too and being patient and, wait, and waiting out two guys knowing like, hey, when I get my shot, I'm going to make it happen. So you did get to watch some football on Saturday and that included... USC experiencing what we've all been expecting for about a month now. I thought they were on a bye. Weren't they on a bye week too? <laughs> nice try. You that's don't, what, I, that's what I said when my when my dad called me inevitably and wanted to talk about the game. I was just like, no, no, I'm 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 ready now. I'm ready now to talk about it. But I, Look, I wasn't Saturday night. Caleb Williams for the last few weeks had pr- pretty much been doing everything by himself. So you knew as soon as he wasn't this Heisman caliber player on a given week, it was all going to come crashing down. And that's exactly what happened against Notre Dame. He throws three interceptions. They have five total turnovers. Notre Dame didn't even have to do a whole lot on offense to still win that game by four touchdowns when it was all said and done. You know what the craziest thing is? I felt like, at least for the first three quarters, the USC defense like probably played their best game. Hmm. I mean, they played all right. They got a few stops here and there. And again, they they have set a very low bar for themselves the first month of their first month and a half of the season. Um, but as an SC fan, like you just you kind of have your hands tied the way the game went down because you're like, what am I supposed to do? Like rip on Caleb Williams? I mean, they you know they would have lost the Arizona game without him. They might have lost other games without him. Like again, that game might not even have been as hyped as it was without that guy. And I honestly think from the way the play calling went where everything was just everything, man, was just a read option RPO. Like it was just 
it was too much thinking. It was almost like Lincoln Riley looked at the other sideline or looked at the tape that week and was like, man, they're going to beat the hell out of us. Like these guys are way more physical than we are. Uh, That defense is bigger, faster, stronger than our offensive line. Um, You know, USC had the, you saw that's what they had success with was just flinging it out to Zachariah branch and Michael Jackson and Williams and some of those other guys. But man, I'm going to give him, I'm going to say if we're still having these conversations next year in his third year, then there's really a problem. But right now I just think it's, it's just more of a rebuild than people think. And, you know, Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley's play calling for a long time, just kind of masked a lot of the issues and deficiencies of how bad that roster was when he took over. Um, I mean, that was a, it was what a four, four win team the year before he took it over. Yeah. And I don't know, we're not giving him this. We didn't give him the same credit last year, really, that we gave that we're giving Deion Sanders now for winning four freaking games. Yeah, that's another conversation nationally. They may not win another game. It's possible. Like it's that story is a 29 point lead to Stanford on Friday night. And I think at the very least, Lincoln Riley is going to be making a move at defensive coordinator this offseason he has no choice at this point even if the defense wasn't as big of a problem this last saturday as they've been for much of the season it's clear that alex grinch is not the guy it was fool's gold i guess that lincoln riley bought in on grinch's first year in oklahoma because they were a good defense that first year and it was a quick turnaround too for a unit that had really stunk for a long time under the tutelage of mike stoops even when bob was still there and uh, so Alex Grinch comes in and does some things differently. And maybe it's the newness of it all, but uh, they had the Big 12 figured out that year. But even that next year, they weren't as good. And those numbers have continued to get worse as Grinch and Lincoln have stayed together. Do you put any stock to the supposed conversations that Lincoln was having with the L.A. Chargers earlier this week? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I mean... I guess if they want to take him, like take him. I mean, you know, like we're like if he really wants to go to the NFL, then he's going to do that at some point. That's kind of the way I look at it. And clearly, you know, I think if they were really knocking on the door of a national championship and I thought they had the roster to do that, then maybe I'd put a little more stock in that. But I mean, he's going to have to stick around for year three and year four if they're going to get this roster to that point. And it's similar to with what happened, like or what Stark's doing or with the, you know, I think some people kind of rolled their eyes at the big humans thing and the big, you know, this and that with the O linemen, but that's what USC needs to do. So if USC, like, and it's, it's kind of coming to fruition finally in year three for Sark, at least halfway through the regular season. So I'm going to give Lincoln Riley the benefit of three years or into year three on that before I start really saying, Hey, you know, like maybe, maybe he's not the, the wonderkin that we thought he was. So we'll have to, I'm, I'm going to go wait and see a little bit. I mean, it's pretty much, yeah, the season's not over yet from a national goals perspective. But, I mean, you have Oregon and Washington back-to-back seasons. UCLA is a good team. Then if you make it that far, the Pac-12 championship, who knows? And I don't think a two-loss USC Pac-12 champion, if that were to somehow chaotically play out. I just think there's too many other really good undefeated big-name brands right now, you know, to – I mean, even within that conference, like if Washington loses a game, even if they lose at USC, 
I guess USC at that point does have an inside track on making it to the conference championship game. USC is going to lose at least another game or two. And I don't have, I don't believe that they're going to, they're certainly not going to be able to stop that Washington offense. I mean, and they're not going to beat, and even if they somehow beat them, like they're not going to beat Oregon and Washington back to back weeks. There's just like nothing we've seen from them to make us think that (laughs) there's any chance in the universe that that happens. Right. (laughs) Oh, you're definitely right about that. And like if Oregon runs the table, which is not an easy task, mind you, but if Oregon runs the table and then faces off with Washington in the Pac-12 championship, if Washington wins the rest of the way, then if Oregon can somehow beat Washington in that game, you likely get two Pac-12 teams in this year's college football playoff. Which like, given, given what's happening nationally with the uh, shifting landscape and realignment, how... How wild would that be if that's the that's the bang that the Pac-12 goes out with? <laughs> Sending two teams in the playoff. It would be very fitting. I mean, people have obviously uh, gotten some amusement out of the fact that the Pac-12 is this good in their last year as a league that we all recognize. But I think it would even be more poetic if that were to happen. Hilarious. And I think... Uh, I think a testament to as much as we think we know about college football and the direction that it's headed, that it, it is a shame that the current version is having to go away. Yeah, and I mean, just the fact that they have six ranked teams still, you know, we knew that they were there were some good teams coming into the season. We didn't we weren't sure how many were national championship contenders. And I think the answer right now is from the Pac-12, those two that we just mentioned. I mean, those are the national championship contenders. Um that played in Seattle on Saturday. And that was, I mean, if, you know, as an SC fan, like obviously I'd want to see them sneak into the Pac-12 championship game, but if that doesn't happen, like I'm, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be throwing fits about having to watch that again, Washington and Oregon. That was an exciting game. We had hoped that it would be, it felt like it had a chance to not only be a back-and-forth affair, but one where you saw some good offenses on display. Michael Penix right now is the Heisman favorite, as he should be. But And that was a Heisman moment. Bo Nix is a guy, he's a great example of why you need to give a guy uh, some time to develop, regardless of the position, but especially a quarterback. Because he's been starting football games for, what, four, five years now? It may be five with the COVID year. Going back to his freshman year at Auburn, where he was decent at home, terrible on the road. That lasted his first two years with the Tigers. And you saw things start to turn around for him last year at Oregon. But Saturday was a great example of how far Bo Nix has come as a quarterback because they lost despite his best efforts. He nearly was able to perform his way into getting them tied up, heading into overtime. And if you can get to overtime on the road, then it's anybody's guess as to who's going to win after that. But this Washington football team is not just good throwing the football. They have good running backs, and they're also pretty solid defensively too. And they are a uh, legitimate threat to win a national championship this year. And where do they keep getting these damn receivers? It's crazy. I mean, they didn't even have... Uh, they didn't even have one. They only had two of their essentially NFL receivers. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Bo Nix. I think we saw firsthand, unfortunately, another great example of a seasoned quarterback the week before in in the Cotton Bowl with Dylan Gabriel. He's a perfect example of that same that same theory that you were saying about Bo Nix, where you know if there's talent and there's 
football savvy. Both those guys are are clearly really smart football players too. And in Gabriel's case, even if not the most physically gifted guy, uh, just knows what to do with the football and obviously has enough God-given physical talent to make the plays definitely at the, at the college level. But, you know, and I think that's where not that a week later, I'm kind of like giving Quinn Ewers, you know, a pass for that because he's, he's more physically gifted and he's more highly touted for a reason, but yeah, you're like, Dylan Gabriel legitimately has three or four more years of college football experience on him mm-hmm. on Quinn Ewers. And, you know, for Texas, unfortunately, we're never going to get to see a Quinn Ewers as a fifth year senior or whatever Gabriel is and whatever Bo Nix is. Those guys might be six year seniors for all I know. <laughs> if we're lucky, we're not. Because I mean, Bo Nix was starting at Auburn under Malzahn, right? As like a true freshman. Yeah, he was. Let me uh, let me actually go to college uh, collegestats.com real quick and see because I feel yeah. like this is year five for him. But yeah, Gabriel, Gabriel again, a, a great example of that. But you know, yeah. with Texas, where if you're this year, this is year five for him. He played three years at Auburn and now two years at Oregon, so he took advantage of that COVID year. Okay. Well, and you're to your point. It's a great point, Trey. I mean, you're seeing that. You're saying that pay off, and CB makes a great point too. Penix is in a similar spot. Penix was at Indiana. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he couldn't cut it at Indiana, and now he's going to win the Heisman at Washington and be a first round pick. Well, it wasn't just that. I believe that uh, DeBoer's was his OC at Indiana, and he was really good. He had a year at Indiana. I forget if it was the COVID year or the year afterwards, maybe. That uh oh gosh, I'm trying well, and to to be to be fair on that too, I believe he had it he had the COVID year and then I believe he had an injury thrown in there too. So okay, so yes. His it was the COVID year that he absolutely lit things up. Fourteen touchdowns, four interceptions, and just six games because the Big Ten played a shortened schedule that year. In twenty twenty one, it was a full season for them, but he only played five games because of a knee injury. And that completely derailed Indiana's season after that. So he was really good um, playing as a freshman in 2020. Or I'm sorry, playing as a sophomore in 2020. He actually started seven games as a fresh, excuse me, as a freshman in 2019 as a redshirt freshman. Gets hurt in 21, then transfers to Washington last year. And we saw him in the bowl game. And we saw how good that Washington passing attack was with him. He's good at all three levels, Jeff, but he throws maybe the best deep ball in college football. And that was uh, that was certainly on display on Saturday, too. Oh, really, really pretty deep ball. We saw he didn't play his best game in the Alamo Bowl, but we saw we saw glimpses of it. Yeah. Yes, we did. And uh, that was in part because the Texas defense was uh, was pretty good in that game, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jaron Thompson picked him off. Jaron Thompson did. That's right. Good memory there. I would not have recalled that one. Uh, anything else in college football that caught your eye this weekend? Well, I don't spend too much time on this, but I'm glad the bottom finally fell out of Colorado. Like, I, I hate being the guy that was like, I don't want to say I was rooting against them. I was more just rooting for something to happen to make everybody else settle down. If that yeah. makes sense. And I'm I'm very much like that. We've we talked about that, I think, in one of the first shows, Trey, where I'm like that where, gosh, if the national media just jumps on something and I think it's just not even warranted. Like in this case, like yes, it's impressive what Dion's done, but they're probably not even gonna 
go to a bowl game. So it's like, okay, you took a one-win team to four or five wins. Yes, that's impressive, but it's not college game day showing up on your campus impressive. And again, I guess to the media executives' credit and the national media, they they probably they probably saw that too and were like, hey, let's look down the line and say, if we can cash in on this in an otherwise lame week, then, then why don't we? But I think we figured out that, yes, as great as the portal is and as charismatic and awesome as Dion is, I think they're going to have, I think they're going to have really good seasons down the line. And Dion's even said, beat up on us now because this is the worst we're going to be. And I believe that. Uh, not that that's saying a ton if they only win four or five games, but yeah, it was like you came in and they had, they had all the flash. Like he, you know, he's, he made the whole, uh, oh my, we're bringing our own luggage and it's Louie. Well, you brought the Louis Vuitton bag, but there's nothing inside it. Like, you know, you had Travis Hunter, Shadour Sanders, his son's, I think, a really good college quarterback. But then outside of that, like, if the Louis bag was the offense, well, then, you know, the, the defense was, you know, a too small white T-shirt and you forgot your underwear, you know. Like, so I was just I, – I was I was all right seeing seeing them blow that lead to, to Stanford. Yeah, they, they were – it was just being pumped up way too much. Like, it was a cute story at the beginning of the season because some people were predicting them to maybe win one or two games this year. But the reality is that TCU team was overrated to start the season, even though that game was in Fort Worth. That wasn't as impressive a win in retrospect. Nebraska's not very good. Matt Rule will probably turn things around in Lincoln, although nothing is certain with Nebraska – in this day and age in college football. But I think Matt Rule can be the guy to return Nebraska to prominence. And then that Colorado State game, which was a nice win for them because it was a rivalry game. Washington State had gotten their asses kicked by, uh, Colorado State, excuse me, had gotten their asses kicked by Washington State the first week of the season. So they weren't very good either. So they beat up on three bad teams. But once they started playing decent competition, and obviously we can point to that Oregon game where the Ducks just blew them out of the building. That's when reality started to set in for the Buffs. And as cute as the story was when they faced UFC and scored the last 20 points of that game or whatever it was to make it a one-score game when it was all said and done, like that was another game where they were getting their asses kicked for most of the contest. And the Stanford game is maybe a new low for them because Stanford's not even that good at football this year. They were able to come back from 29 points down to win that game in extra frames. And I think the, the the one last thing I'll say on that is I think the biggest takeaway and lesson in all this too is, yes, you can get better quickly from the portal. You can take a really bad team and make them decent by getting guys from the portal. But if you want to turn a team from really, really bad into a national contender, even a conference title contender, you can't do it all through the portal in one year. Like, yeah, you can flip the roster and say what you want to say and this and that. And obviously Dion is totally an anomaly. I mean, he's one of one. There's one Dion. So there's other guys. I mean, um, GJ Kinney's doing it at Texas State where they they were the only team or Colorado was the only team that had more new players from the portal than um, than Texas State did. And obviously that was a. Uh, that was a big win for them to come back and win 21-20. They're one win from bowl eligibility now. But again, they're not comp- they're not making noise on a national level. So one of these bigger Power 5 programs, you still the, the the blueprint is still to build from the ground up, to lay the right foundation and to recruit at an elite level from the high school level for multiple cycles, which going back to what we were saying about Lincoln Riley, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I'm going to give him the opportunity to do that. And if I don't see it in the next year, 
then so be it. And I'm not saying that Dion can't do it. I just think it was nice to see like, okay, maybe we can all settle down now and let's all realize like he can't just go get 70 new guys from the portal and win a Pac-12 championship or a national championship or make the playoff. Part of that is obviously the Dion effect too. Like he brings that sort of attention to himself and he always has, by the way, even as a player back at Florida State. I mean, he has a certain flash about him that draws a reaction from the general public, both positive and negative too, by the way, because there are a lot of people who are Dion fans and there are people who just get tired of the fact that, uh, especially in this instance, it seems like there's a whole lot of flash and very little substance here. Yeah, and you, and you can't argue with the TV ratings. Like, it's good to be in business with Deion Sanders. Yeah. You can't, yeah, I mean, like, as much as I get annoyed by it and some other people might get annoyed by it and the national media, you know, over love and over buzz that they created, like, they, there are th- those networks, Fox, ESPN, they probably made a pretty penny having Deion Sanders on, the, on their airwaves for a couple of weeks. And now, I guess, you know, they'll just act like, they'll just kind of, act like it didn't happen and you know oh well that, that happened to you know that happened at four in the morning eastern time or 2 a.m eastern time whatever it was yeah, and they'll just kind of move on and back to your regularly scheduled uh george is going to win the sec again uh michigan's going to make the playoff you know and we'll, we'll go back to what we were already doing yeah unfortunately the uh tv sports networks and I'm excluding KI here because you guys are uh, just more of a general station than anything else. But the ESPNs of the world, they love squeezing every ounce of interest out of a story before moving on to the next thing. It is a bit of dead horse syndrome. And uh, the Big 12 is not drawing a whole lot of interest from ESPN this year, nor should they be, even though ESPN carries a lion's share of Big 12 games. The most interesting game this weekend Jeff, there are a couple of them. Obviously, you have the Hail Mary that Houston uses to upset West Virginia on Thursday. But Oklahoma State, after being left for dead following losses earlier this year, including to uh, University of South Alabama, who is uh, led on offense by one major Applewhite as the OC there, uh, they, they are having a nice turnaround in conference play. Most recently, with a win over now unranked Kansas, 39-32. Kansas without Jalen Daniels. Once again, Jason Bean comes in. Bean actually played well. Bean was not the problem. Uh, the problem was that defense was a sieve. Uh, looks like Alan Bowman has secured himself as a starting quarterback for Oklahoma State. And they have a really, really talented running back, too, with Ollie Gordon second. I was impressed with him against Kansas State a couple of Fridays ago, and he is continuing that effort with a a big performance over the Jayhawks. 29 rushes, 168 yards, and a touchdown for Gordon helping the Cowboys to pull off the upset. And look, you got to give Mike Gundy credit. I mean, we were ready to absolutely bury that dude, or we were burying that dude a couple weeks ago and saying, ah, it might be time to move on. And uh, I mean, Jake had a one of our uh, great listeners and viewers here had a comment earlier about it looks like Gundy might be having one of those midseason turnarounds again for no reason. And seriously though, like does anybody just kind of dominate their lane in their space? Like Mike Gundy just somehow turns out winning seasons in Stillwater, Oklahoma. <laughs> it's really impressive. And look, who, who knows where they'll, they'll end up, but um, you know, they surprised everybody by beating K state at home 
last week and then to now turn around and um if you're if you're a betting man or woman mike gundy is a home dog it's quite profitable that was um, my ride yeah yeah i don't know what the exact numbers are um but i remember reading that that it's like you just basically it was kind of like uh do you remember like when when herman was here it was like tom herman as a tom herman as an underdog hmm. but like tom herman as a five six seven point favorite no way <laughs> they're winning that game by two or they're losing it by 10 yeah, he played way too many close games and also hated kicking field goals, too. It's funny how that works out, that he uh, didn't win more football games here in Austin. The other Big 12 game this weekend, we're going to talk about Houston, West Virginia in just a sec because Houston is obviously the Longhorns' next opponents. That game in H-Town this Saturday, 3 o'clock kickoff. But Kansas State traveling to Lubbock to take on Texas Tech was interesting for a couple of reasons. One, Kansas State wins that game going away 38-21. But we may see be seeing a changing of the guard at K-State at quarterback where Will Howard, who I believe is a team captain, ends up only playing part of this game because they have a true freshman who is a decent thrower, but he is an electric runner. Avery Johnson is his name. And despite what you may be envisioning right now, if you've never seen Avery Johnson before, he is a long-haired white kid that can <laughs> run like a mofo. He does so he does so he does not look like that other Avery Avery. He Johnson. does not look like former Spurs and Mavericks guard Avery Johnson. <laughs> he looks like a uh, he looks like a, a long-haired white kid from uh, from a small town in Kansas. And he doesn't play like that, though. He had a, a great day on the ground, decent through the air, too. He has 13 rushes for 90 yards, 8 of 9 through the air for 77 yards. So the numbers aren't great, but his QBR was still 93.9. And he provided the spark that Kansas State needed at a point in that game where things were still relatively close and helps the Wildcats to run away with the victory to try and get themselves back on track because they're not completely out of it in the Big 12 just yet with regards to reaching Jerry World that first week in December, whereas Texas Tech continues to see their season slipping away. They are now back to 500 in the conference at 2-2 two and 3-4 two and three and four on the season. Another uh, another one where every time Tech loses, you can just remind old uh, Joey, not Jerry McGuire, that uh, everything does not, in fact, run through Lubbock. Um, but you mentioned... You mentioned K-State and Avery Johnson. I think that's a perfect example of where when you look at it for Texas, the next six games, you feel like they'll be favored in pretty much all those games by close to a touchdown. But you got to be careful of just going through and too early going like, yeah, win, win, win. Because I think people, even when Will Howard was, we thought Will Howard would be in, you were thinking like, okay, K-State, you know, that's, that, that can be a tough game for Texas and Will Howard's an experienced quarterback, but now it's like, well, you have a probably a better quarterback or at least through the first little bit of action we've seen from him, a more potent, you know, dangerous quarterback than Will Howard. Basically he, he looks to me like, well, I mean, I don't know if you think this Trey, like a better version of Will Howard, essentially. <laughs> He's Maybe not a as good bit of a thrower just based on the little bit that I watched on Saturday, but at least not yet. Maybe. Uh, not, not yet. And I'd be surprised if he became as good of a thrower as Will Howard. I don't know what happened to Will Howard. I don't know if there's an injury there or something else going on. Will Howard was, yeah, he, okay. he did not look good against Oklahoma state. Yeah. He was okay versus Texas tech throwing the football, but 
he was just okay. And clearly Chris Kleiman thought that they needed a spark and they realized how special Avery Johnson is already using his legs. So they asked him to do some simple, seemingly easy things through the air, but they really let him do a most of his work on the ground. And their running back was also really good on Saturday too. I think he, uh, he got over right around a hundred yards on a similar number of carries as Avery Johnson but uh, Kansas State is a team that is now clearly committed to uh, to establishing the run to try and set up uh, what little bit they're trying to do passing the ball, at least with Avery Johnson in there. Maybe Will Howard gets uh, part of a week to uh, to clear his head, and maybe he comes back and looks like the guy who is really setting things on fire going back to last season and the start of this year too. But uh, there's something that's been amiss with him. I don't know if it's – the pressure of being the guy. He's obviously one of several people that Kansas State brought to Big 12 Media Days this year, so it's not like they were expecting a uh, a quarterback competition midway through the season, but they clearly have one right now because Avery Johnson was that good running the ball against Texas Tech a couple of days ago. And sometimes as the opposition, it can actually be more difficult when, like I was saying, you think that you're going to get Will Howard, and now, I mean, by the time they come to Austin, Texas, they'll have a little more tape on those guys, um, a little more tape on on Avery Johnson. But still, like a lot of times that guy can be tougher where you only have two games of tape on him and they're almost just, you know, so young that they don't even know what, what they don't know. Like they don't care. It's just like, you know, wet behind the ears and they just go out. Um, they just go out and and get it. And it's more difficult to prepare for a guy like that in some senses where, whereas I feel like Texas – would I mean they've shut down Will Howard before? Like they they know they know how to play that game, um, and you know until they can show me that until they show me that they can stop a running quarterback, a true dual threat quarterback, after what Gabriel did. And again, I know you got to go back and say, okay, Milrow, like they they played well against him. They were relatively good shutting down his rushing abilities, but that was his third start. Like, and he didn't even look that great against Arkansas. I watched some of that early game. So yeah, that that's a little bit dangerous. And I know when you mentioned in a minute, we'll get into UH and, and Donovan Smith a little bit and, and that some of the issues that matchup presents, but but yeah, K-State and I just Gundy climbing, like some dudes can just coach, (laughs) you know, they may not win national championships, but they can just coach ball. And those are two guys that can do that. I guess climbing, I'd, has has won national championships just not at this level yeah that's true that is something to continue thinking about now as far as donovan smith is concerned uh houston hasn't been great this year the three and three on the season one and two in conference play thanks to that miraculous win over west virginia on thursday night west virginia which strangely two games into conference play maybe not strangely fittingly i guess since it is this year's big 12 was in the driver's seat Theoretically, well, they are no longer in a driver's seat. They're at two and one and losing to a team that is considered by many to be the worst in the conference is not a good look, West Virginia. Regardless, you do have to give credit to Houston for pulling off the comeback Hail Mary win like they did. And the guy who threw the Hail Mary, Donovan Smith, Longhorn fans are very familiar with because he was the guy responsible for upsetting Texas in Lubbock last season. Yeah, if you're a Texas fan, you're you're just hoping that, hey, what happened in Lubbock last year was just the, the perfect kind of mix of circumstances and guy played his best game. And again, another example of what I was just saying where 
He didn't have a ton of tape on a guy. You maybe thought you were going to get somebody else, so he snuck up on you. So he's definitely not going to sneak up on Texas this year. Um, but he's he's been pretty good, <laughs> and he is a bit of that dual threat. He's a big he's a big dude. Like I think that's what stood out to me last year, being at the game in Lubbock um, when he ran for that that big touchdown in the second half was holy cow! Like this is a big dude, and obviously the Texas defense has gotten significantly better from that day, but. Like I just said, until they really show me that that they can that, that they can contain and corral one of these true dual threat quarterbacks, I'm gonna be concerned about it. Like I just am. I'm I'm gonna be concerned about the linebackers and the angles that they take, and you know, breaking down and making tackles, and um, the guys in the back end of the secondary. I mean, you really hope that Ryan Watts is good to go for this game, and because they have some they have some good uh, some some good receivers on that UH side. They have some talent on offense. I think the bigger thing is Texas is favored by 22, 23 points. Is because you mentioned, Trey, I mean, everyone thinks UH is one, and probably still does think UH is one of the worst teams in the Big 12 because that defense is atrocious. Yeah. So this should be, like, if for the Texas offense, as much as I'm concerned about Donovan Smith, this is really more about the Texas offense coming out and fixing what they've struggled with through the first six games of the year, which is slow starts, and just coming out and doing, I mean, especially coming off of a loss. I know it was a bye week, so it's slipping away a little bit, but Sark said Monday, he did the bye week press conference on Monday and obviously spoke earlier today, but he was like, I want this one, the OU loss, to stick with these guys a little bit. Yeah. Going into this next week, this preparation, if it means a little extra motivation, doing one more thing, all the kind of cliche things that really are true and need to happen. It's like if the OU loss needs to sit with them a little longer for that so they can take that into the next game, this to me is a situation where a really good team, a true playoff national championship contender will come out and beat the ever loving shit out of Houston in, in Houston on, on Saturday, 21, nothing in the first quarter. Like, I mean, it should be a name your score for the Texas offense. Sark should be able to say, I want 50. And they put up 50 in the first three, four, you know, in the first three quarters and, Malik and Archer in in the fourth quarter. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but to me, that would be the sign of a truly great team. If this team's as good as we think they are and can be, that's what I that's what I think you will see on Saturday. Yeah, I definitely. I, <laughs> I definitely want to see the offense have their way with Houston on Saturday because the Houston defense doesn't get very good. But I also want to see a bounce back performance out of this defense too, considering what happened versus Oklahoma a little bit more than a week ago where they were embarrassed and in a way they were kind of exposed too, as you talked about against a guy who may not be seen as a traditional dual threat quarterback, but Dylan Gabriel is very savvy with when and how he uses his legs in a lot of ways, that's more difficult to stop than a guy that you are expecting to run from play to play. Jason being more of a runner than a thrower. So even though he's dual threat, how much of a threat is he really throwing the football? Uh, so this, other than Dylan Gabriel, uh, they're going to get some good opportunities to try and slow those sorts of guys up. Donovan Smith, not the not the most, uh, the biggest threat as a runner necessarily, but he's a really good thrower of the football. His stats were great against West Virginia, as you mentioned. Uh, he has some really good receivers also, and this Texas secondary wasn't very good when Dylan Gabriel was throwing the football down the field uh, more than a week ago. So this is a great chance 
for them to make a statement as to what they really are, despite the fact that they suffered a bit of a letdown, that this still is a unit that you can count on game in and game out. Yeah, I think with uh, some of Donovan Smith's rushing abilities, they don't necessarily lie in like you're worried about him ripping off a big chunk play like you might be with Milrow, uh, which honestly, I don't even think we were, you, you just kind of mentioned that. We weren't really worried about that with Gabriel. Um, I think with Smith, it's more of like, he's just another red zone threat, just a big yeah. body, like a guy that in red zone or short yarded situations. And you know, Holgerson in this game, man, is he's going to, he's, he's going to play, play some ballsy football, um, especially just probably knowing like the team on the other sideline, Texas is that much more talented <laughs> than they are. And, you mentioned how, um, you know, Jason Bean and how they kind of contained him, even though um, not much of a passing threat there. I mean, he's I mean, I don't I don't know what threat Jason Bean really is, but I think if you get a Kansas, a Kansas type performance out of this defense, I'd be happy with that. Like, I'm, I'm OK giving up a couple of big plays, which is essentially what happened in the Kansas game. Long run at the beginning of the game um, and then the Jason Bean touchdown pass, you know, there, I think, in the second half. So I think. If you have that sort of performance from the defense, UH has enough talent on the offensive side of the ball where they're going to score some points. Like, like I think if you give up, like if you hold them under 20, I think that that should be the goal for this defense. If you come out of this game with a, you know, 48 to 17 or 48 to 20, 55 to 21, like that should be kind of the range of game that I'm expecting this weekend. Yeah, and Dana Holgerson has already gone Dave Aranda at his Monday presser. Of course, Dave Aranda, about a month ago, was asked about beating Texas, and he essentially admitted it's the one thing that I've heard more than anything else this offseason is just beat Texas the last year that we play them. Dana Holgerson, in his Monday presser a little bit earlier today, on what he's heard from fans about the Texas game, quote, I've got a lot of comments. Just beat Texas. Don't care if you win any of them, but if you got to win, but you've got to win that one. You can go 1-11, and and it's okay if you beat Texas. So Dana Holgerson, who has uh, proven himself as a savvy offensive play caller over the years, he's going to be pulling out all the stops to try and score points on this Texas team. Yeah, Trey, I don't know where you stand on some of these quotes from from players and or not players, um, you know, coaches and just these other fan bases, their, their mindset of like with UH, dude, what? Like I almost understood it a little bit with Aranda and Baylor because there's a recent history there. Texas hasn't played UH since 2002. Like maybe some old heads are going to pop into the comments right here and put me in my place. But I was, I was talking to some people about this earlier. What the hell like beef is there with, is it just the in-state thing like, I went to UT, but I'm not a native Texan, so maybe I don't totally get it. Like, I'm admitting a little bit of possible, you know, naiveness on this one. But, like, like why is this, like, that big of a deal for UH fans? Like, I get going up to Holgo and being like, I want to beat Texas. Let's go take down the Longhorns before they go to the SEC. Again, these two teams have not played since 2002. Like, what is the – like, to me, there's got to be, like, if you're going to come out with spitfire like that, like, there's got to be some sort of, like, personal beef or – instant classics that you know again texas and baylor there's a long recent big 12 history there where it's like hey get one last crack at them going out i under i honestly i understand it with tech too but not uh i don't get it so the 
beef with U of H has to do with the end of the Southwest Conference and Houston being left on the outside looking in of the formulation of the Big 12. And they think they look at Texas as a big reason why they weren't a part of the Big 12 and why they've been kept out of the Big 12 all these years, even as the Big 12 has chosen to add new members. And so now that Houston is finally finding their way into the Big 12, it's no coincidence that Texas is leaving at the same time. And so they realized that Texas was what was standing in the way of them actually getting to play big-time college football versus being stuck in the G5 for all these years. That makes sense. And I guess, so essentially it's like Baylor, Tech, TCU, they're all looking at it as one last final shot at Texas. And UH is basically just looking at it as, this is our one shot at Texas. Exactly. (laughs) And and, CB popped in with, you know, the, he thinks, you know, he thinks that the lost odds in Texas are the ones that ended it, you know. So again, yeah, I guess there's, there's, you know, macro big picture history, I guess there um, that maybe I'm just a little, you know, maybe I need to, you know, it's only Monday. So maybe I just need to do my homework on some of this before, before Saturday to understand the dynamic a little bit more. And I do get that, you know, they're a, you know, smaller brand in state public school versus, you know, a UT or an A&M or even a tech to that standpoint, or you don't, you don't think that even factors in at all? Maybe a little bit, but Houston is, I mean, Houston's a commuter school. That is not conjecture. That is a fact. There are a lot of people who live all across the greater Houston area who come in to take classes. So it's not your traditional fan base where it's mostly kids aged 18 to 22 or 23 There are people from all different age groups who come in to get their education at Houston, but don't necessarily care to stick around for the athletics events. And I know that they've gotten really good at basketball over the years, and that is a big reason why the Big 12 chose to take Houston. They've had their football successes here and there. Yeah. How successful they're going to be with Dana Holgerson in charge going forward. And I say that as somebody who likes Dana Holgerson, the person, too. Have Have you gotten to interview him? I got to interview him at Big 12 Media Days this summer, and he was... I bet that was a good one, right? <laughs> he was receptive, yeah. And I got the end of the interview by asking if he feels it coming in the air tonight because of the uh, the, the Phil Collins <laughs> comparisons that have been made over the years. And he had a great sense of humor about that, too, so I appreciate that. But, like, BK, when he was on ESPN Houston for the last few years had formed a relationship with Dana where they would talk with him on the air. And I think he hung out away from the air a couple of times too. And he has nothing but good things to say about Holgerson. Dana Holgerson was on Mike Leach's staff at Texas Tech back in the early 2000s. And apparently there are some legendary stories about Dana Holgerson, Mike Leach, Get if Cliff Kingsbury was on that team too, or maybe Lincoln Riley was. There were uh, there there are some stories floating around about some fun that those guys used to have in Lubbock back in the day. Man, Leach and Leach and Holgo on the same staff. That is that's a lot of personality on yeah. on one staff. And then if you if the Kingsbury part is true, uh, I don't know how much if Lincoln Riley was there. I don't know how much personality, if any, he had, but or has. Maybe he maybe he hasn't just doesn't show it to the media and public like like those two do. 
Well, I don't know how much personality he has. More than anything else, hopefully they didn't put him in charge of cooking the brisket at the uh, the house parties that they were holding. It is it is amazing how you can post. You're you're famous like that. You have that type of notoriety. You can post one bad tweet, or and I'm not giving him an excuse. The brisket was probably shitty, but you can post one bad angle of a brisket or just one bad brisket, and it will never ever leave your name like you he can never ever shake that it will be lincoln riley dude can't cook a freaking brisket like (laughs) hey take the picture if you want to but look at the picture before you put it on social media and realize that the lighting sucked or maybe you just cooked a bad brisket and you shouldn't be putting that out there or at least like like get i've seen uh, some of my buddies that you know they know how to they do the brisket and they know how to cut it and then they you know they'll like push down on it while they're taking the video and you see like the juice coming out. Like at least do that. Sauce it up or something. I don't know. Yeah. Or get a brisket from style switch or something and make it, uh, make it seem like that's the brisket that you actually cook. The problem with the brisket wasn't just how poorly the brisket was cooked. He had put like fucking barbecue sauce over it or something. So it's like, if you're going to show a brisket in its purest form, you can't slather it in sauce first. I guess, uh, you know, Mule Shoe, where he grew up, is like, we'll just basically say that's New Mexico. So, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe so. All right, so starting this week and going forward through the end of football season, at least, if not further, uh, we're going to be joined by a special guest each week. And that special guest is a lifetime Longhorn. He is a guy who played for Texas football, I believe, for two if not three years and we're going to talk with them every week now through the rest of the football season about football and a whole lot more it is tristan nicholson tristan what's going on man great to uh great to talk to you welcome to the show hey guys thanks for having me this is awesome appreciate the uh, opportunity how many years did you play for the longhorns tristan yeah so i was there three years uh went to a junior college my first year and then then finished out three years with texas so With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. All right. And uh, so we actually saw you ahead of the uh, Texas OU game a couple weekends ago. Uh, You were going to the game, but you were rocking an Earl Campbell jersey, which I appreciated, not just as a big Earl fan, but as an old school Houston Oilers fan who's now an NFL bastard because I lost my professional team as an adult. Uh, what were your impressions of that game, Tristan? Man, you know what? I, I, I've gone back over it. Maybe the, the Earl jersey was was cursed. I don't know, man. It's the first time <laughs> I've worn it. I, I don't know if I can wear it again. Cause, or maybe I jinxed it by coming on the show and, and predicting the uh, the blowout win. But no, I you know, and I've said this a couple times over the past couple weeks, objectively, it was a great football game, right? Yeah. Uh, from, from a pure college football fan point of view, it was a great game. Um, when anytime you have a couple lead changes in the final five minutes and then two lead changes in the final minute 30, that, that's a good game. Unfortunately, we, we came out on the wrong side of it, but I thought the team looked good. I think overall people 
underestimated Oklahoma a little bit. But we'll, we'll see how they end up with their season. Hopefully we get to see them again at the end of the year. But I think in, in that game specifically, it, it's a coin flip, right? Uh, I, I was a part of teams that should have lost handedly uh, that either gave a good fight or ended up winning it. Uh, so I, I think that game's maybe not the best uh, watermark uh, of how good Oklahoma or Texas is. Ultimately, I think the rest of the games in, in their schedules will be more telling, but it was a great game. Yeah, uh, Tristan, from a player standpoint, when you have a, a, a loss like that, that's just so gut-wrenching because of the way it happened, who it happened to, um, you know, what was at stake being 5-0 and going into that game. How like what is the recovery process like? Uh, yeah. I mean, like, like by week aside, just the next couple days after that, like what is the process like after you just have a gut wrenching loss like that? Sure. Well, first of all, it's good that it, it comes in the wake of a bye week or it came before a bye week because after a, a game like that, I think Oklahoma is by far the most physical team that we're going to play all year uh, in conference at least. Uh, and so anytime you get one of those games and then it's immediately followed up by, by a bye week, that's always a good thing. Gives guys an opportunity to rest, get healthy onto the next one, so to speak. Gives your, gives them, you know, clear enough headspace to also do that. Um, but it's tough. Any, anytime you lose a football game, I, I, you know, one of my favorite quotes from, from Charlie Strong was, was winning's hard, man. Winning any football game is really, really difficult. No matter who you're playing, if you're rolling the ball out against, uh, you know, we played San Diego State one year. And, 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 you know, anytime you play in a football game, you got the opportunity to lose. That's the whole point. And so, yeah, it, it sucks when you lose. But when it's against an opponent that you play every year and that you play close, tough every year, except for last year, um, then, then, you know, it, it, it's always a heartbreaker when you lose like that. But at the, in the same side of that coin, and I think this team realizes, certainly realizes, that's a good football team you played. And you played them really close. Uh, and, and ultimately, it's only going to look better on your resume when you go back at the end of the year and beat these guys. So uh, it's tough, but you got to move on and, and look at the next one. you gotta, you got to be ready for Houston. Tristan, were you a part of that 2015 team that went into the Cotton Bowl with no chance of winning the game, according to Vegas odds makers? And I was a part of the crowd that day. The Texas yeah. crowd was nice and lubed up, and they were just going in to cheer for maybe a half before – leaving the game because it was a blowout at halftime, but the crowd was really loose. And when y'all had some good things happen early on in that game, the crowd responded and got really loud. And it kind of seemed like the team fed off of that energy too. Was that, were you a part of that team? I I was. So that was, we can talk about this more later, but that was the first time I ever started a a college football game. Wow. Um, And I didn't know that until about 15 minutes before kickoff, our offensive line coach, Joe Wickline came up to me before the game and I had shifted, shifted reps between first and second team that entire week with one of our other guys. And he came up to me and said, all right, you ready to start? And I'm like, huh? I guess we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, and so I was a part of that game. It's a really special game to me. It holds a, a special place in my heart. I even have a scar above my eye from uh, uh, getting cut on the goal line. So I'll show you that. But um, wait, but what, no, what, it, it what the hell was going through your mind when you're walking down the tunnel, like 15 minutes after finding out that's your first start, man, nerves, right? Butterflies, just uh, and and not to get too deep into the weeds, but that year Oklahoma had a defensive end by the name of Eric Stryker. Dude had just come off. I forget who they played the week before. Dude had like nine sacks. It was ridiculous. And so he's coming off of the All American, All World, whatever game that he had, 
so it was it was a bit nerve wracking for sure. But you know, once you get settled into it, and you're right, Trey, that that crowd, uh, uh, whether you're going to win, whether you're going to lose, at least at the start of the game, is, is pretty 50-50, right? Um, that's the whole point. And so when you when you start playing good when you're not supposed to, uh, they start getting into it, and they almost get more rowdy than when you're supposed to play good. Uh, I think having seen this game a couple times now as a fan, uh, especially last week or you know two weeks ago. It, it almost felt like the crowd expected Texas to, to beat up on them. And when they didn't in the first you know three quarters, uh, the, the crowd felt a little deflated. It wasn't there toward the end until they started to kind of pick it up. But I, I think that definitely plays into it. Hmm. Jeff, you frozen? Oh, you got me? I think okay. I might have froze a little bit too. You got me now, Trey? Got you, buddy. Okay, I thought you froze for a minute. <laughs> no, it's just a stoic look on my face, I guess. No, but uh, Tristan, just curious your thoughts on um, this UH game this weekend. And, I mean, you mentioned how, you know, you come off of that loss and kind of how you get it, how they get it back on track. Like, are guys even talking about that now in the locker room? Or is it just strictly like, hey, we had the bye week to get that out of our system, bury the tape now, and then move on to the UH. And just your thoughts on on this UH team that, you know, coming off a Hail Mary win. Yeah, no, heck of a win, right? I, I think that was probably the, the finish of, of the week for sure. Yeah, you know, I, I think in any game, no matter if it's Texas OU or a big rivalry game, you got to look toward the next one because, like I said, winning's hard, and on any given day, someone can upset somebody, Right. Um, and, and so you got to look past that. You got to put it in the back of your mind. I think it's probably still in the back of their minds because uh, just because the opportunity you get at the end of the season, hopefully, uh, to play these guys again. But I, I think the big point going into, and I think Sark said this a couple times in his press conferences, they did good things against OU and they did some, some not so good things. So it's how do you go up against an opponent who's statistically and, and probably uh, – uh, player-wise, not the same caliber as this Texas team, right? Let's call a spade a spade. And, and how do you go out there and really focus on those things that you wish you'd have done better? Uh, how do you go out there and, and run the ball like they really should have, right? How do you go out there and let Ewers make some some difficult throws in, in tight pockets that maybe he can make those against uh, a U of H team, right? That with a little bit more margin of error that he's not going to get later on in the season with some other games. But Again, at the end of the day, you, you got to take these guys seriously. You got to take a, a a Dana Holgerson team that just come off of a, a crazy win. Uh, you got to take them really, really seriously because, and this was the same even when I played when we weren't as good as these guys are now. At Texas, you're getting everybody's A game, right? You're you're stepping up to the plate no matter if you're playing Houston, uh, Texas State, San Diego State, Oklahoma. You're getting everybody's A game. Uh, and so if you go up and show up with your, your B, C, D game and somebody else goes and plays an A-plus game, you got the opportunity to get beat. So I, I don't think so much they're looking back at that win and, or that loss and thinking could have, would have, should have. I think they should be focusing on, on this next one. Talking with Lifetime Longhorn Tristan Nicholson, who's going to be joining us weekly at 2 o'clock, Mondays during football season, perhaps beyond as well. Uh, Tristan, a lot of people are feeling good about the direction Steve Sarkeesian has this program going in because of what Kyle Flood is doing with the offensive line as a guy who obviously played the position do you share that sentiment are you seeing some uh, major steps forward by this unit on the whole 
uh, especially considering uh, just some of the struggles at that position group uh, that you were obviously a part of a few years ago, going back to that national championship back in the mid-2000s. Sure, sure. No, it, it's not lost on me that we've had, I think, one offensive lineman drafted in, in since you know 2005. Maybe it's a couple. Um, I don't know the exact stats, but it's not a lot, right? Um, and, and from an offensive line point of view, you think the world revolves around that position, which it kind of does, at least in the offensive sphere. And so when you're failing at that position or you don't have the depth and, and the experience uh, at that position, it, it really shows across the board, right? A quarterback can be as good as they want to. If they get half a second to throw the ball, like nothing's going to happen. You can have an All-American running back, and, and if he's having to make three or four cuts in the backfield, it doesn't matter, right? Um, so from an offensive line perspective, I think it's very important that you get that skill. You get guys in the system. That's what I love that that Sark and, and Kyle Flood have done a great job of, of bringing guys in, bringing them into the system, working them up through their system and finding really good system guys. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I think it's really impressive what Coach Flood has done. I uh, hadn't had the opportunity to meet him or talk with him, but from his philosophy, it seems like they're just a tough-nosed team. A tough nose uh, uh, position group, uh, which I, I think had probably been lacking in the past couple of years. So no, it makes me excited to see the the success they're having. You mentioned uh, Texas getting everybody's best shot a few minutes ago. Before you came on, Trey and I were were going through the Dana Holgerson quote about you know fans coming up to him and saying just just win this one game, just win this one game, beat Texas. And I was kind of rolling my eyes at that. And and Trey and some of our our. Uh, People in the comments here, our viewers and listeners, schooled me a little bit on the history of why UH might, you know, even though they haven't played since 2002, have kind of that disdain for Texas. But from a player's standpoint, even, I mean, as you mentioned, some of those teams that you guys were on were, weren't necessarily some of the world-beating Texas teams, you know, that we've seen. But how tangible is that? Is that as a player that you're on the field and you're like, man, these guys really are cranking it up uh, an, an, another notch? Sure. You know, you watch film and, and you see guys throughout the week when you're watching film and you say, OK, I can exploit this guy here. This guy's maybe a step too slow. This is his normal move set that he does from an offensive line, you know, defensive line package. You know, this is the, the pass rush he likes to move use. You know, when you when you get a Texas team, right, maybe he throws in a couple different moves. Maybe this defensive end all of a sudden decides he wants to jump up and bat the ball down a couple times. You know, it, it's weird little nuancey stuff like that that I think you see. You know, at the same time, it's probably it's exciting when you play a new team, right? Anytime you play an out of conference opponent, anytime you play at home or away at another place's uh, uh, home, it, it it can be exciting, right? Um, I'm, I don't know the exact makeup of this Texas roster in terms of where they come from. A lot of these guys are probably from Houston, right? So this is kind of a homecoming for for some of these guys for sure. I think that'll play into it quite a bit. But no, I mean you—you you just got to be—you got to be on your p's and q's, right? Everybody's going to give you their top-notch stuff. Um, Dana Holderson is not a a traditional coach by any means, so I would expect a few different trick plays, um, probably in the first quarter. But we'll see. I, I think it'll be a fun football game to watch. Hopefully, it's over by the first quarter, but we'll see. So, Tristan, you are a uh, a fairly new parent, correct? You and your wife uh, just had your first child, what, within the last two years? That's right. We had a daughter a year and a half ago, and then we have a two-month-old boy, too. So, Congratulations, uh, man. Thanks, thanks. I, I don't sleep anymore, but it's... Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, Trey, Trey's nodding his head. He gets it. Oh, yeah. Well, especially during that time. Now, some people luck out. Some people get the newborns who will sleep 10 hours through the night. That was not our luck with either of our kids. But they were also, they didn't deal with colicky issues. There's different, everybody deals with different issues. And we lucked out in some cases, but the overnight sleep thing, we did not. Fortunately, uh, my wife is an absolute saint and she breastfed through the first year of each of their lives. So I wasn't having to get up all that often. I would volunteer to, but my wife is such a thoughtful person who's always thinking about others. She's like, well, let him sleep. I've got to get up anyhow unless we want to use some of uh, what was pumped in the previous couple of days. So I'll just go ahead and take care of it myself. So I got lucky in that regard, but uh, neither of our kids were very good sleepers. And it sounds like you're dealing with that too. And and you've also, you've also gone uh, much closer age wise than we did. We put two years in between the kids, thankfully, but uh, yeah, y'all, y'all are dealing with a couple of uh, young beings who are very reliant on you to uh, to stay alive day to day. For sure, I, I would say it's not for the faint of heart uh, to have them this close together, but we did that. We did that on purpose to to you know kind of get out of this phase as quickly as possible and, and keep them close together, and, and um, hopefully they'll grow up with a lifelong friend. Right, that's the idea. But yeah, no, I I don't know what you're talking about. Ten hours of sleep couldn't be me. Uh, like I told you guys at the, the state fair, that was the most sleep I had ever gotten the night before. Um, but you know what? Again, with having them so close together, I hadn't slept in a year and a half anyway. So it wasn't <laughs> like I was I was uh, I was getting back into it. Uh, I, it was just rolling right into the next one. So, do you have like the, the the game tape lined up or something? So while you're when the kid wakes you up, you can. <laughs> Kill two birds with one stone, I guess. Yeah, lot, lots of lots of Twitter scrolling, lots of uh, or X scrolling, whatever it is. Um, yeah, it's it's it got it lined up. But I'm really proud of uh, my little girl now because she's starting to talk, starting to say some words. But she's firmly got the word football down. So anytime she sees football up on the TV, she says football. And I'm like, not a girl. And can she already? Can she already do the? We're working on. We're working on the hook. We're working. On I know the... that one. That's a tough one for kids yeah. for sure. Yeah. Is so our most surprising thing about fatherhood? You know, lots of different stuff, right? Um, t- a lot of TMI stuff too. Um, but no, I, I mean, I think now you and I kind of talked about this earlier, Trey. I think now getting into all the sports stuff, how busy you can get, right? Um, you go from, like you said, they're they're 100% needing you all the time to – all right, now you got to get them out and go do stuff. So um, we're starting to get into a lot of the sports stuff, and it's interesting what she likes. You know, our, our son's a little bit young for that stuff now, but what she likes, what she doesn't like, uh, seems like we might have a basketball player on our hands, but we'll see. Yeah, it is interesting to see the ways that they take after you and the things that they do very differently. And then you also go through these different eras or these different uh, stages, I guess, where – you know, they go from these little beings, babies to toddlers to children and eventually into the teenage years too. like my son last week told me <laughs> this is a little bit heartbreaking, guys. But uh, well, I'm talking to you, too, so I can I can be fairly forthright on this. But I've, always, I've, I've had a playful I've had a playful relationship with my son ever since he was born. And he's seven now. And because he's seven, he's starting to feel more grown up about things. And so the, you know, little playful, 
dad and young son and wrestling around and like messing with him in terms of like singing little songs to him or whatever that used to get him to smile. Well, he told me last week that I embarrass him now and that he doesn't want me to do any of that stuff anymore. He's like, the only way I want you to play with me is to, to play sports with me. And I was sad because it's like, this is probably the end of an era. But by the same token, it's like, I have to respect, you know, him letting me know what he likes or doesn't like and, and act accordingly. I've got to be be the parent in that situation. So now it's going to be a whole lot more about the sports than it is me uh, me playfully messing with him because he's my little boy. Isn't that fun though, Trey? I mean, the... The, the, the sports and all that because i know with uh we've we've talked about my my four-year-old stepson here where i didn't have much to add to the uh newborn conversation there I'll, I'll i'll get there at some point but like i'm so bad at playing <laughs> with, like i never had like little cousins i had a little brother but i would always just like we just like played sports i don't remember ever like playing and i guess i was a kid so if i did i wasn't thinking of it like that but isn't, isn't that the fun part now trey where you're like you know he actually wants to play some sports and May take him to volleyball, take him, take him do something fun. Kevin calls me, Kevin Dunn calls me uh, Todd Marinovich's dad with regards to how I try and instruct my kids playing sports. So it's fun for me. It's not going to be very fun for him. And it's probably going to be uh, lead to a lifetime of, of a uh, sports failure and drug addiction before it's all said and done. If he turns anything out, if he turns out anything like Todd Marinovich. <laughs> Are you like a, are you like Tiger Woods' dad? I'm blanking on his name. Earl Woods? Four more reps, Calvin. Four more reps. And you better do them right or the rep doesn't count. Not not letting not letting him eat dinner until he drains 10 10-foot 10 putts in a row? No, that's the hard part. I try not to do too much coaching. I try not to offer too much unsolicited advice. But that is one of the most difficult things for me as a parent is to not offer unsolicited advice because you want to arm your kids with the information and abilities to find success, but it's also important to let them experience those failures so they can understand how to achieve said success. And if it's just you harping on them and telling them over and over again the way something is supposed to be, it's not going to sink in like if they gain that actual experience. And so for sports, like I have to ask my kids, like I have to catch myself versus saying you need to get your elbow in when you're shooting a basket or you need to, you know, you need to try and push with your strong arm a little bit more when you're throwing, you need to bring your arm up a little bit more or kicking a soccer ball, whatever it is. It's like, okay, you're, I see you're frustrated because you're trying to do it and the ball is not doing what you want it to. Would you like me to offer a piece of advice on that? And if it's yes, I'll say what I need to say. And if it's no, I've just got to shut my mouth and let them continue performing terribly at whatever the sport is. <laughs> so I, I actually learned that uh, last week on Monday after the show, I went and took, I took Jace to the golf course, like on the golf course for the first time. And he wasn't actually like playing. He just kind of rode around the cart with us and had a good time. But he has a little putter and he, he like sweeps it, like almost looks like he's like curling yeah and and i'm like exactly what you just said trey i'm just like i, I want to like tell him i try to tell him once to like put that put the hands like this you know and i like one guy actually when i took him to the putting green like a year or two ago i was trying to coach him up and the guy came up to me, he's like man I, he basically gave me unsolicited parenting advice he was just like he was really nice but he's like you gotta just let him do whatever the hell he wants to do with it and figure it out, especially at that age. I mean, he's four going on five in, in a month here. So it's like, just let him whack it around. And he was having a blast. 
he was totally doing it wrong, but you know, I'm like, yeah, he'll figure it out. And then by the end, he was watching me and then had a few swings that were like, okay, I think that kind of looked like a golf swing. And that's, that's the bottom line is that they're just, they're playing around. They are playing. They're doing what you're supposed to be doing with sports. And I realize sports have a much greater meaning as you get older and get into high school and then college. And if you uh, have the opportunity to play professionally, then uh, maybe it means even more too, because at that point you're making a living playing this sport for a living, but especially at its most innocent, you're just playing around and maybe you're chasing a ball or maybe you're trying to hit a ball, but uh, you need to let them play. You need to let them have fun and to, uh, to, to become a little bit too overbearing or offering up too, un- too much unsolicited advice. It ruins the fun. Unfortunately. Tristan, how do you, how do you feel about your son? Potentially? I know he's only two months old, but foot football player one day. How do, how do we feel about that as, somebody that knows what goes into playing football at, yeah, at one of the highest levels. Absolutely. And I, and I think Trey's right. The more you, you try to steer them toward one direction, I think the, the more they're going to lean the other. So if I, you know, if I had it my way, I'd, I'd get me a, a basketball player or a baseball player. I think those are uh, overall the higher value and, and, and more longevity associated with just playing the sport. Football's tough on the body. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm reaping the rewards of that now. Right. Um, but I wouldn't mind a quarterback or a tight end or something, man. I'd do something other than play offensive line. Those guys don't get any love. <laughs> so you're you're not opposed to your son when he's old enough playing football then necessarily, because that's a big conversation amongst parents nowadays. Yeah, no, I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I'm opposed to it. Like I said, I think that there's ultimately better sports on the body. Right. Yeah. I think like you look at it really any other sport. Golf's a great one. Right. You can play golf until you're till you're in the ground. Um, and, and I think it's, it's about having a conversation with them when they're ready is like, what's your goal, right? You want to play sports in college? Great. Let's find you a sport that you can excel at. Right. You know, if, if he gets my genes and the kid ends up being, you know, six eleven, football is probably out for you anyway, guy, um, you know, but, but if he gets mom's genes and, and he's a little bit on the, on the shorter side, then, then maybe we can. Um, but I think, like you said, Trey, it's just all about letting him have fun and, Man, if he wants to play sports, play sports. If he wants to to act or do anything else, band. Man, I'll I'll be the the you know the, the supportive parent in the stands, clapping no matter what. So, but I, I don't think the, the way that the sport is developing, I think there's going to be less and less head injuries, which is for me the biggest concern as being a, a a parent of a potential future player, right? I think the technology that they're developing and helmets and and overall the rule changes they're making in the game. Are, are going to be in, in betterment of those type of injuries. Um, at the same time, you're never going to be able to cut out all injuries, and especially at like a position like offensive line, uh, I don't see a way you could change the rules up enough. You know, there's never going to be a roughing the offense. There's never going to be a roughing the tackle uh, penalty that, that's called, right? So I think just depending on which, which position he ends up in or if he ends up in a position in football, I think injuries are, are bound to happen. So I might lean a little bit toward toward something else. You know, I just, had to, uh, I just had to tell my son to uh, to stop having a particular sort of fun playing soccer over the last couple of weeks because he loves to slide tackle. And I get it. I used to love to slide tackle too when I was a kid. But you get to an age where slide tackling uh, puts other players and yourself at much greater risk. So I flat out had to tell him two weeks ago, Dude, if you don't stop slide tackling, I'm taking you out of the game and you're not going back in for the rest of the day. 
Sure. So to his credit, I saw him slide tackle once on Saturday. It was a great weekend for him. We played two games, including a makeup game from a couple weeks ago. We had five goals in two games, hat trick in the first game. It was during the eclipse too, so an eclipse hat trick. And then two goals in yesterday's game. But I saw him slide tackle in the first game, and he kind of stopped short on the slide tackle, and I saw him look at me. And I just, I didn't react. I just was kind of just looking. And he got up, and he didn't slide tackle again the rest of the way. And so I asked him after the game, I'm like, did you realize when you slide tackle that you shouldn't be doing that? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, did you look over at me at that point? He's like, yeah. I'm like, I didn't say anything to you. And I'm not going to say anything to you because I think you realize that you can't be slide tackling anymore in that moment. He's like, yeah, didn't slide tackle in the game yesterday. So I think we've uh, we fixed that problem, thankfully. Good, yeah. What if, he does it, what if he does it for a reason? Like, what if he does it to, like, steal the ball? Well, I've told him that slide tackling is it is a move of desperation in soccer. Mm. You know, like, you, be in, you put yourself in good enough position and also understand that you are faster than just about anybody else on the field to where if you need to play catch up to get the ball, do that. Otherwise, the only time you need to slide tackle is if there's a pass in front of the net that you're not going to be able to get with your own two feet and you slide tackled into the net where there's nobody else around and you're basically just getting the, to the ball to try and score a goal. So we'll see. Tristan, I'm, I'm uh, curious with you, your, your like youth sports career, you know, you ended up at, you end up at UT after all that's said and done, but like, when did you start playing tackle football? And then at what point did you know, like, Hey, I can, I can play at a school like UT, like I, I, I'm a D1 football player. Yeah, no, I, I didn't start playing legit tackle football until seventh grade. So I okay. didn't do any of the Pop Warner, and I remember it because I was I was pissed. My parents wouldn't let me because my dad played college football, and so some of the same stuff we're talking about, right? Like you don't want to start in too early. I, I, I do think, not to jump on a soapbox, I do think some of the Pop Warner stuff – some of those kids are a little bit young to be hitting as hard. And I think kids develop at such a different rate that you can get a kid in the same league or the same division on the same team that's completely on different levels in terms of development and shouldn't be ready to take hits from, you know, a kid that's 20 pounds and six inches taller than them. But I digress on that. And so they wouldn't let me play, let my little brother play. But, um, you know, and I, I was pissed about that. But, no, I, I, I didn't start playing tackle football until seventh grade. Didn't really feel like I was I was all that special or didn't, you know, had that didn't feel like I could go to the next level probably until I got to high school. I didn't really develop until I got to high school, kind of filled out I think between my freshman year of high school and my senior year of high school. I grew like an inch and a half every year. So like I started at like six, two, which was pretty big. Right. But then ended at six, eight. So once I got to my senior year, I was like. Okay, maybe I could maybe I could do something right. Um, and then even at that point was still not really uh, wasn't very coordinated. Didn't hadn't really come into to my my physical attributes quite yet. Went to a junior college, ended up getting the opportunity to go to Texas, and, and kind of the rest is history. But I think most of these guys, you know, I think it's funny now to look at, at anybody that's in the top ten. Look at their rosters. These guys have been five stars since they were eight years old right it's crazy um and and i think i was a, a no star right i don't i don't think stars were really all that important by the time it really is only kicked off the past couple of years it feels like um maybe it's always been important but who knows um but yeah no i i would say i, I was a late bloomer from a, a football perspective you said you're six eight 
six eight, six nine. I've been told everything in between. My wife thinks I'm six nine. I think I'm six eight. I've had scouts tell me I'm six six, and so I. <laughs> At, th- at this point, it doesn't matter, man. It, it's it's difficult on trains, planes, and automobiles. So if anybody's looking, I, I don't I don't need the extra height. You can come and take it. What's well, I definitely like I like the basketball prospects for for the kiddos. Then <laughs> I tell you what, that's that's what I'm shooting for. Although our daughter is is she she's tough, man. I, she might be like a UFC fighter or something because she's <laughs> not so much even like hitting because at this age they all kind of do that. But no, she just likes to wrestle and 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 do all that stuff. So we'll see. What's the best thing about being a tall guy? You know what? It, it, it's something I took for granted until, until after I got done playing, uh, man, I don't have any problem in crowds. Like at the, at the, uh, uh, the state fair deal, I can see over everybody, right? Like that, that's probably, that's a pretty good perk. Um, at the same time, you're kind of walking billboard. Um, and everybody's got a cousin, a, a brother, uh, a brother-in-law that's six two or six four, and and they just want to tell you about it. Uh, so <laughs> wait, that that really happens? Is like that's oh, a tall dude, guy problem? Is like you, random you people want to tell you, you about tall people that they know? You wouldn't imagine, man. You would imagine everybody that comes up. How tall are you? Six eight. Oh, I've got a cousin who's six four, and I'm like, cool, man. What am I supposed to do with that information? I'll say hi to him at the meeting. Is that what you want? <laughs> I could literally never imagine going yeah. up to someone. Like, I could imagine myself being that idiot that's like, oh, Tristan, like, how tall are you? Just because I'm 5'10", five, I'm five, probably, like, in the program, you know, yeah. maybe 5'9 yeah. in real life without shoes. But I would I would go up to you and be like, damn, you're really tall. Like, how tall yeah. are you? Especially, like, that you were an athlete and, like, sure. my role as, like, a journalist or whatever. I'm, I'm curious about random crap like that. But I would never then be like, oh, like, um, trying to think of the tallest person I know, like, yeah, just like mention like, oh, like I got an uncle that's six three. Yeah, right. I've heard I've heard every comment, joke, everything, man. It's nothing gets past me. Especially if somebody's saying, Oh, I know so and so who's six foot four. Dude, you're six eight. Like that that needs to be the low watermark. If they come yeah, up right? and how tall you are, right? Six eight or six nine, their only response if they're gonna bring somebody else up that they know that's tall is somebody who is that tall or taller. For sure. Six four is absurd. I mean, how desperate are you to uh, to fit into a conversation if you're bringing that up? My goodness. Some people try. I don't know to tell you. I, I think my my favorite part, and Trey, you probably have one of these. But my favorite part about being average height is that like I'm just like a stock off the off the rack medium or like dress shirts and stuff like that. Like never an issue with the clothes. I'm like a ten in shoes. Everybody's got like they probably order the most not you know 10 11s maybe like i don't know what the average size is but i like never have issues just like going somewhere and buying something off the rack i don't know what it is for you trey couldn't, couldn't be me man no i <laughs> i i've never bought anything off the rack um and then i have size 18 shoes so so you can't you definitely can't sit economy on an airplane correct no economy's tough i'll tell you this though i fly a lot of southwest uh okay. not a sponsor but it should be um but <laughs> <laughs> i fly a lot of southwest i don't know if you guys ever flew southwest but in yeah, the exit the row, there's, a, there's a seat that doesn't have a chair in front of it and so if i can get in there uh like middle of the plane check it out next time you're on one um, the exit row or something 
Yeah. yeah. Middle, middle of the plane, exit row. It's usually, it used to be on one side. Now it's on both sides of the new plane. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's like an exit row chair and then there's, there's two rows of exit rows. But on in front of one of the chairs, there's no other seat. So I can I can lay my legs out as, as much as I, I can. But there's only two of those. So sometimes you don't luck out and you, you can't find those. Otherwise, you probably have to go aisle because that's what I have to do when we sit economy. If it's not like Southwest or even if it is Southwest, I guess. Just to be able to stretch out a little bit, and I do that as somebody who's like six feet six one. Yeah, it, it it's tough. I remember I was on a plane ride to Chicago a couple of years ago and got stuck. Last must have been the last seat on the plane, and I get back there and I'm in the middle of the back, and I try to sit down, and my my butt wouldn't even hit the the seat. My knees were hitting the front. I just look at the flight attendant like, hey, what what am I going to do? Luckily, there was this really nice lady in the exit row that she was five foot nothing. She's like, I don't care. I'll take a seat. Um, otherwise, I was going to deboard the plane. But but yeah, you, 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 gotta, you learn to live with it. Tell you what, these are these are some unrelatable problems as the as the shortest member of this hour of Texas Sports Unfiltered. We can get some basketball players on here and then, then I can be <laughs> at least one step down. Oh, those are always the ones where, where when we do interviews, I, I need like a, I either need both of us to be sitting down, or I need I need to be on like a stool or like on the curb or or something. I don't know. Yeah. But that's always where like if I'm in like we'll do one on ones whenever we travel with the basketball team like for the tournament, and I'm always just like, hey, do you mind sitting down for a minute, man? Because <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, yeah. it's just like, yeah, right, you know. Just we, just silly. we just have to be thankful, Jeff, because we don't have to go to specialty stores for our clothes. And when we're at concerts, we don't have to be cognizant of where we're standing at the concert because we can stand front center if we want to. And there aren't going to be a, pun- a bunch of people behind us upset because we're just standing at the front of the crowd trying to watch our favorite band perform. Man, I felt I felt so bad at the Oklahoma game because we we got tickets last minute. We were literally the very top of the section, except we were one seat down. And I sat right there in front of two people, and I kept looking back like, I'm sorry. I wore a cowboy hat and everything. I kept looking back. I'm sorry. I was straight in the view of these people. Um, but- how, sor- how sorry are you, though, if you're wearing a cowboy hat? Yeah, right. I mean, like, not, not too sorry. I'm not too sorry. I guess I had to take it off a couple times. Yeah, you're like not sorry enough. Not sorry enough to remove it. Yeah, right. I'm not too sorry. Yeah. Well, uh, Tristan, it was a pleasure today, man. Talking Longhorn football and uh, sure. also uh, getting a little bit more personal, which is what we like to do during these two hours. So, tall guy privilege. Had a blast today, and we look forward to doing it again next Monday, man. Awesome, guys. See, see you next week. Cool. Have a great week, Tristan. There he is, Tristan Nicholson, Lifetime Longhorn. Let me get the banner back here now. That was good, that was good stuff, though. Yes, it was. No, you're not Jeff Howe. Hold on. Jeff Barker, there we go. All right, we're not hey, in Jeff, Jeff Howe's a cool guy, too, though. Jeff Howe is a cool guy, and much like with you, I uh, can talk about just about anything with Jeff Howe, no problem. Yeah, I've, I've had many a, many a fun off-air conversations at Texas media availabilities with with Jeff Howe good good people yeah Jeff Howe has a, a good wit about him for sure that doesn't surprise me at all we haven't talked NFL yet Jeff the Cowboys play the Chargers tonight Monday night football the game is out in LA which means there will be many more Cowboys fans than there are Chargers fans in the crowd at SoFi Stadium but uh, we did have a full slate of games yesterday, starting with another game in England at 8.30 in the morning. I just have no use for these games. I really 
I know this is the norm going forward, and there, it will probably get to a point where there is an international game each and every week. I could do without the game. I, I will tune in if there is a team or an individual I'm interested enough in, but otherwise it's just occasionally checking a box score and waiting for the actual games to begin at noon. Yeah, it's it's cool once or twice, but but it does it does get to the point where like for the third week in a row, um, and especially like if I want to sleep in a little bit too, like I mean I don't, I'm act, I'm kind of like being a little whiny here, acting like I, I have to be up for football, <laughs> but I mean that's a game that I was I was interested in, you know, watching and yeah, and I don't know, we did, I just got off with two with two like parents of multiple children, so I'm not going to get any. I'm not going to get any sympathy here for after having to wake up at 8:25 to get the TV on for a football game. Well, here's the thing, though: we're already committing what is essentially, gosh, if you if you watch the Sunday night football game, you are committing it's ten hours, ten hours to watching football. I don't care to make it a full 14 hours of watching football. I'm sorry, that's just too much, especially well, when, with bookended with a game or games, I should say that may or may not matter in the grand scheme of things. And Sunday Night Football obviously does a pretty good job of setting matchups, and they get some flex games later in the year. I just I, – I need my Sunday mornings to get ready for the rest of the football day. Putting this game on in England or Germany or wherever the games are going to be happening the rest of the way. I, I get the novelty, and you're right. It's cute once or twice, but the fact that it's turning into almost an every weekend thing – is obnoxious and I'm sure they're going to draw crowds and they're going to grow their international presence, but you're also not necessarily uh, doing the fans who have supported this sport for a long time, any justice by putting this game on when you do. No. So uh, I like this comment, this last comment from CB. He said, that's why he loves living on the West coast with the two hour difference. I, that, that's how I grew up with 10 AM yeah. NFL. And that was 9 a.m. college games, too, by the way. Yeah, yeah. But it was great because it would it would like the NFL would start at 10. And yet it started a little bit earlier, like we're complaining here about that early game. But it's really because the football ends so much later. But over there, like I remember, like my dad and I would look at the schedule and we would kind of just pick out and we're Raiders fans. So we would just pick out like what three hour window we were going to watch our team lose that given time. And then look around at the rest of the schedule to see, okay, we're interested in this game. We're not interested in Sunday night or whatever. And kind of, it was easier to plan the day around it. And if you watched all the football, like Sunday night football starts at five fifteen, So you're yeah. essentially, as long as that game doesn't go crazy into overtime, like before the nine o'clock hour even kicks off, like football's done for the day. And, and if you don't care about that Sunday night game, like football's done by five. So you said you like the West coast time I, zone and how I like, so I know that yeah that was kind of contradicting like what I said I don't like it when there's one 8 30 game and then it's well it's six and it's 6 30 on the west coast I don't like it when it's one 8 30 game and then to your point we're committing the rest of the day to watch the chunk of games like I don't just want to watch one game I like watching the the chunks of games especially that noon window and then even the the 325 425 eastern window you know, there's always one like what you think is going to be a really good game, and then two or three solid games after that. So yeah, I like I like I don't mind starting it a little bit earlier, but there's got to be like like that's got to just start the whole football day, not just we're starting this and it's one like kind of mediocre matchup that I'm interested either for 
like nowadays a gambling or a fantasy reason. Or the other the other day I wanted to see, you know, when it was the Falcons, I wanted to watch Bijan. Like I try to watch yeah. most of those games. That's the but game. Otherwise. That is the game that I tuned in for. Also, I was having to watch that game on my phone. We were in Houston for a niece's birthday, but I was like, I want to see Bijan play, and this is the one game going on right now. So I will suck it up and deal with the fact that there's an uh, an NFL game on at eight thirty in the morning. See, when I lived in Oregon for what would have been one full football season, I could never properly make the adjustment to be ready to go. At nine in the morning for college, 10 o'clock for the NFL was a little bit easier, but I was also going out on Saturday night. So I often wasn't up until second quarter or second half of the early NFL games. I feel like we really luck out in the central time zone. I feel like we have it the best. College starts at 11. NFL starts at noon, other than the stupid international game. And so you get your mornings. And depending on what the afternoon games look like in the NFL, you may get some of your afternoon back too. Yeah. So yeah, Jason says his his NFL scheduling complaint is that like most of those games are at are on at noon, which I I understand. I I totally understand that complaint. And sometimes I wonder what the logic is for the network or the I you know the strategy is for the network to to not just kind of split them up evenly because obviously we know that. Um, like us being a CBS affiliate at the station that we have, you know, basically we have a, we'll have two double headers and then, and then we won't have a double header and then two double headers. It's like two, two, one, two, one, like it's that kind of, um, and then Fox I think is, is the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you wonder why. And also sometimes I wonder too, with how popular it is, why wouldn't we just have double headers uh, stuff like way beyond my pay grade, but why wouldn't we just have like, for 17 weeks, Fox and CBS both have double headers. Like I don't, I would, I would love to do some digging and and ask somebody who you know at CBS that makes a lot more money than I do what the <laughs> what the business strategy is behind that. But like Trey with the Monday night games when they did they did two double headers there. Were you a fan of that? Because honestly, I was, but I admit that it could just be because Monday evenings and Tuesday evenings sometimes are like. Mondays especially are like my one day where I don't have anything. I can just hang out with the family, order a pizza, and watch football. So I'm I'm stoked about two games. Yeah, I don't mind the Monday night doubleheader. It's weird because I I didn't catch on. It happened a couple weeks ago. I didn't catch on to one of the games starting earlier. So I was just expecting the one game happening shortly after 7 o'clock. But there was a game I want to say that started at 6 and one of the yeah. started at eight. So I didn't make the proper adjustment on my end, but I don't mind it, especially because those Monday night matchups have become very hit or miss because they have to set them in the preseason or before preseason. They have to set them late spring, early summer. Yeah, and there's no flex like Sunday night gets. And they've started to suggest that they want to do some flex, which I think does a disservice to the teams that they're flexing into that game. See, this is where the NFL, it's very clear how little they actually care about their players' well-beings with, one, scheduling Thursday night games, which is a grave injustice. Unless you can figure out a way to create a Thursday night schedule that takes advantage of a team being on by the week before, And so they're on by and then they play the Thursday game and then they get extra time to get ready for the following Sunday game. I think you would get pushback on that from players because 
Maybe you were, maybe what you said on the back end makes it makes up for it, but I think they would feel like they're getting gypped on the buy. Well, maybe, but you are also getting another weekend off in a row, and you're guaranteed to only play one Thursday night game a year. Now, you run into a little bit of an issue with the Thanksgiving games since the Cowboys and Lions obviously play every year on Thanksgiving. And then there's now a Thursday night matchup too. But I feel like there is a scientific way to figure that out to where you minimize teams that are having to turn around so quickly from Sunday and play that game on Thursday night. And the disservice that it does to the overall product too is like, how much do you care about the product? Like you see these teams performing as shells of themselves when they only have four days to get ready for that next game because football requires more time. There's a reason why these teams only play one game a week. So I actually it heard... It takes uh, that long for everybody to get recovered and ready to go for the next one. I, I heard Kyle Rudolph, former NFL tight end, say this recently, that he actually... He think he said he liked the Thursday game because essentially after the Sunday, like, of course, it's less time for your body to recover. But I think he said he liked it. For, and hopefully I'm, you know paraphrasing correctly but essentially that they like wouldn't make them do anything physical like it was the time in between that is basically like sunday night obviously you're off sunday night after the game basically would have monday off it would just probably be like walkthroughs you know kind of more mental prep and that game plan type stuff and then by that point you're like almost to the game so and and i I don't think he i think he would probably be in the minority of nfl players that that think that but i I thought it was interesting because it's a good point but maybe as a tight end, I don't know if he was more of a receiving tight end than maybe it was like, you know, again, it goes back to almost like what Tristan was kind of saying on certain things. Like it depends what position you play. <laughs> An offensive lineman, like, you know, the, the left guard would probably be like, yeah, man, I think I, I think I want a week off. Like I think I want a full week. But, you know, maybe a receiver or somebody like that who doesn't get hit as much would be okay with it. I hate to take things back to fantasy football, but it's kind of how I watch football these days. If the running back played that Sunday and he has a Thursday game and he's on my roster, unless he's like a superstar and I have no choice, I try not to play him. Unless he's like Bijan, basically. Yeah, I mean, there are certain physical freaks out there. Bijan does fall into that category, but most guys, it's like, stay away. If the coach is smart, he's not going to try and run this guy too much because he's still not fully recovered from the previous week's game. Now, if he missed the previous week's game, there. what was the example that we had recently? where I forget who it was, but there was a wide receiver and a running back. Well, I think it was the Detroit Lions maybe where Montgomery and Amon Ross St. Brown, I forget what it was, but they had missed the Thursday game or they had missed the Sunday game and they were planning on playing Thursday. It's like in that circumstance, then those guys got a little bit of an extra rest, even though they were dealing with injuries. So I would be more likely to play them there. By the way, CB brought up that Goodell, Roger Goodell is exploring the possibility of playing a Super Bowl in London. How the hell is that even going to work? The Super no. Bowl starts at 5.30 Central Time. Yeah. Tell That's, me the game's going to start at what, like close to midnight? Or are you so going to push the game to normal hours London time and have it be a late morning, early afternoon affair here in the States? We, we actually had uh, Lee and, yeah, that makes no sense to me. We had Lee and Jason in the comments, like, really solving some problems for us. Like, I, there were some good, some good comments there. Lee said Super Bowl should be on Saturday night. Would love and that. And then Jason said it, it should, it should, he said, uh, yeah, it should just make Monday a holiday, but keep it on Sunday. 
Either like of those works. I think the easiest way without messing with the work calendar is just make it a Saturday night game. Like you're like you're upholding the sanctity of football yeah. by keeping it on Sunday. It's unnecessary. Well, just make it on Saturday. There's two weeks between the uh, conference championship rounds and the Super Bowl itself. Just make it a Saturday night thing. And then, yes, that Sunday becomes a day of rest and recovery for America and the rest of the world that chooses to tune in for the Super Bowl. So simple. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And also like the whole, like you said, the sanctity of it still being keeping it on a Sunday and the tradition and all that we have wild card games and other playoff games that are on Saturdays. Exactly. They played the whole Sunday thing, but now Thursday night football, Monday night football has been around forever. Um, and then, you know, they start, I don't know when they started doing Saturday games once the college regular season ends, but yeah, the whole, like it's gotta be on a Sunday is, is pretty, pretty ridiculous because yeah, the majority of people would, I mean, people still throw parties, but can you imagine the parties that people would throw on a, on a Saturday, but I guess from a business standpoint for the NFL, that, that doesn't, the parties that people throw at home don't, aren't really putting any like extra money in their pockets. If it's, more of a rager on a Saturday than it would be on a Sunday like it is now. I feel like the earnings potential on Saturday are way are, are much greater than they are on a Sunday. Because just like even just from like what you could sell an ad for, like that standpoint? Or? Yes. I think that you maximize the audience on a Saturday night. Like if you're worried that people are gonna already have Saturday night plans bullshit. Their Saturday night plans are gonna be to watch yeah. the freaking Super Bowl. It's going to be right. at a Super Bowl party. That's what their Saturday night plans are going to be for Super Bowl Saturday. Oh, 100%. Like get new trademarks and cover up the whole Super Bowl Sunday thing. But, yeah, if you put the Super Bowl on Saturday, I think it makes everything better, including the bottom line, which is what the NFL cares about most. Yeah, we're, we're getting a lot of people here for the make Monday after the Super Bowl a national holiday. It's a worthless day for most people's workplaces. Now, you and I are in industries where the beat goes on. Uh, and we're, well, let, let's be honest. We're also in a town that treats Fridays as uh, as the first day of the weekend, especially Dude. in the summertime. People work four-day weeks in this city. It just is what it is. You and I aren't, aren't that lucky. <laughs> so I lived in – I'm thankful that I have a job that I'm passionate about and that is yeah. fun and takes me – places to do fun things. Likewise with you, Trey, because when I, I lived downtown, when I was single for a little while, I've, I've been at the station for six, a little over six years now. So for two and a half of those, while I was single, I lived in a janky one bedroom off of Barton Springs and South first behind that Whataburger. It's this <laughs> old apartment complex. It was like a 500 square foot, one bedroom. What, what was, was what was the complex called? It was called the Willows. That's so right. There's, a, yep. there's one right behind it that more people know called Timber Creek. And yeah. then as you're coming down, like School for the Deaf is on the other side. And then as you're coming down, there's Timber Creek, which is a little bit nicer, but equally as old, I think. And then I so I lived at the Willows, which was right there. I had a friend and, that lived in the Willows way back when. Oh man, that place was was so much fun. But I would drive to work on Fridays at like noon. And I would look out over the water and I'd be like, oh, my God, I like basically live in downtown Austin. This is so cool. And then I look out. and I'm like, what do these assholes do for work? Like, what do these people do? Like, again, if I was driving to a job that I hated, like that would have ended real quick because I was looking out like these people are probably making like triple what I'm making. 
to work. Oh, you're talking about everybody on the paddle boards on Sound Lake? Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, these are not all college students. There's no way these are all college students. (laughs) And I'm like, I I don't know. Like people, I've also, I've always said that I'm like, well, I take it a step further. And I just say people just don't work in Austin, which obviously is, is not, is not the truth. But, but yes, people in Austin way before COVID and the flexibility of work from home, (laughs) Jake says drug dealers. Um, those are some yuppie looking drug dealers then but hey i you know business is business i'm not gonna get involved in how anybody else makes a living or what their off days are well especially in the summertime because as popular a destination as austin is summertime is the off season for tourism because people realize that it's a thousand degrees here and there you don't have just the non-stop stream of festivals and uh, everything else going on in Austin the rest of the year. So the people you see out on the water on Fridays, those are Austin residents who are mm-hmm. either unemployed or have jobs that allow them to skip out on their responsibilities on Fridays because it's Austin and, hey, we have four-day work weeks in the summertime, even if uh, nobody is officially acknowledging as much. Yeah, I... Uh... <laughs> oh, man. Sorry, I'm just laughing at some of the comments, but... <laughs> Look at, look at Walter White. Uh, so you're saying the next Walter White is is paddleboarding on Friday Friday afternoons instead of working a day job. You know. That's right. Oh, how about how about this from uh from our guy Steve, aka Cooter of uh, Pest Wrangles? <laughs> used to you say do or date a girl in the Willows oh. way back? What a hot piece she was. Well, congratulations on that, Steve. Probably probably both. You know, yeah, do and date. Perhaps the sales activities interest cease on Sunday morning. By the way, that's the other thing. I know that Texas is unique. There are some other states that do it this way, but uh, Texas doesn't sell sell liquor on Sundays. So liquor sales in this state will go up if you are holding that game on Saturday rather than you, Sunday. You should have seen me the first time I I realized that that happened that you that you can't buy. Well, now you can buy beer, um, but not is that still where you can't buy beer till noon. Like that, just, so much rule, that rule actually changed, I believe, at the start of this year, maybe. Okay. Where you can actually buy buy beer and wine at 10 a.m. on Sundays now. Okay, because I you should have seen me the first time. Like I I was just like there was a whole line of people behind me at the H E B, the one on Hancock by campus, and I was just like in disbelief. Like I felt like I was in a in a curb episode. I was just like I thought I was being pranked. Like what do you mean I can't buy a freaking six pack of Coors Light at at eleven forty seven, like the guy literally. The guy literally told me he goes, "Oh well, you can you can go uh, like essentially stand on the side over here for thirteen minutes and then get back in line and buy it." And I was just like, "I'm I'm not I'm not going to do all that, Chief." Like I appreciate you schooling me on the insanely idiotic law that is or was not being able to buy beer on a Sunday until until noon. You know ridiculous sanctimoniousness by this state. Thankfully, they're starting to reverse it a little bit. They need to just go ahead and allow liquor sales on Sundays, too. I mean, yeah, I had some I had some UT friends come with me back in the day to uh, stay in California or come visit for like a week or whatever, and they were so tripped out when we went into a CVS at like midnight, and not only was there liquor bottles everywhere in yeah. the CVS, you could actually slide the glass door open, pull it out, and buy it. <laughs> they were they were shocked at that, which is funny. 
I have to admit a little bit of disbelief when I moved to Chicago and you could just buy whatever booze you wanted to at the grocery store mm-hmm. or gas stations for that matter. Yeah. Like they just sell it everywhere. And then you think about it and it's like, well, it's kind of ridiculous that you have to go to a store that is specifically designated for selling harder booze. Like how, how much, uh, how much hard drinking is that stopping? Right. Honestly, yeah, like what are we what are we really curbing? Like believe me, I want that six pack. I got that six pack that day. I didn't wait thirteen minutes at the H E B, but I got that damn six pack. Oh, did you? Yeah, well, you know, I just did you buy it off home the and then I on the corner of sixth and Congress or something? Did I what? Buy it off the of a Kobo <laughs> on the corner of sixth and Congress or something? No, I think I just made my way back towards West Campus and then did what I probably should have done before after I put my groceries up. Like I was just trying to knock it out at the same time, you know, buy a couple bags of frozen chicken. God knows what I was eating back then. And a six, six pack of beer. So it's all, all I wanted was I needed six beers to watch the Raiders lose. That's all I needed. And Texas couldn't give me that. They've given me everything else in my life. But. Congratulations to your boys for uh, finding themselves at 500 right now, three and three. After a four-point win over the Patriots that saw your guys also cover thanks to a, a late safety, God, Mac Jones is terrible. And we are watching the final year of the Bill Belichick era in New England. Yeah, the the, the Mac Jones one, you know, we overcomplicate things a lot in sports. Like, he's just not very good. I mean, the, the team around him is not very good, but it's not even like a situation where it's not even a Justin Fields situation where he's shown some flashes and you know that there's dysfunction around him. Like even when people don't make plays around Mac Jones, you're like, well, like he's, you know, I think it was Devonte Parker that dropped that pass, dropped a big pass late in the fourth quarter. So, um, you know, there were, there were just, there's so many moments where you watch him and it's like, it's not even like, it's not even takey to be like, he's not good. Like, like I feel bad for the guy. Maybe he can, go be like a backup somewhere, but I don't know. Like he's just, he, he's not athletic. He's not getting the ball out quick. And yeah, I think you're probably right about, about Belichick. Is that there's a lot of people that cover the Patriots closely that, you know, have said like, they don't think Robert Kraft is, is afraid to fire Bill Belichick. Cause you know, in some cases, like we've seen that with Jerry where coaches that have had, haven't even had that level of success, even close to it. And he was afraid to fire Jason Garrett. Um, and hey, we'll see a big Cowboys game tonight. We'll see uh, where Mike McCarthy stands. If hey, dude, if he loses, Trey, if he loses to to a foe of this show, Beast Daily, then I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what we're gonna do. See, BK and I do our weekly picks, and we always pick the Cowboys game. It depends on the matchup as to whether or not we go Chargers. I'm to the point with Staley that I refuse to bet for the Chargers whether they're favored or whether they're underdogs. I just can't do it. I, I don't want I don't want some humiliating bet payoff to hinge on whether Brandon Staley proves that he's actually capable of making a good decision in the heat of the moments. Because you and I both know that he can't do that, that he's incapable. Sometimes he'll luck into wins despite his best efforts, but he's still Brandon Staley at the end of the day. So you you are significantly wiser than I am because I have a Chargers plus two ticket because mm. I just that to me more is just a bet on Kellen Moore and Justin Herbert and just that I don't think the Cowboys are as talented a roster as we're giving them credit for um, and hey maybe they'll shut me up again it's 
if they're good and they shut me up tonight, like I'll, I'll gladly rip that ticket up. Cause when they're good, it's, and they're interesting, it's better for business. It is. You're right you about that. And I, do, and I do wonder about the Cowboys defense now. Like this went from a unit that was rock solid at the start of the year to one that is now missing Trayvon Diggs for the season with that knee injury. And Leighton Vanderesh is going to be out for at least a month, if not more, with that neck injury. So all of a sudden there are now big question marks on that side of the ball too. Obviously Micah Parsons can still help hide quite a bit, but that's a team that really has not been very good against the run this year. And they've started to get gouged in the passing attack too. So it's up to the offense to pick up the slack. I just don't know if Dak with the current group of receivers that he has can pick up the slack enough. And I think the Cowboys fans are realizing now that that trade and they, this criticism was levied by fans in the moment. That trade that they made to get rid of Amari Cooper and essentially give him away for nothing to the Cleveland Browns was a terrible deal. It was a stupid deal, and it was an arrogant deal that they thought that they could just not skip a beat with CeeDee Lamb as the number one and Michael Gallup filling in as the number two or trading for Brandon Cooks and have him serve as the number two. That, that hasn't worked out. Dak Prescott is a worse quarterback because he hasn't had Amari Cooper these last few years. See what Cooper did yesterday, too? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that catch on the sideline was one of the best I've seen this season. He's a really good really good route runner. He's got great hands, too. And Zay joins us now. So uh, I'm going to hang out with Zay for a few minutes as Chip finishes up an interview with Chip Jeff. Ford. Great job, man. Zay, Love thanks, your work, sir. dog. Love your work. Thank you, sir. Jeff, great job today. I'll talk to you next Monday, man. All right. Good stuff. See you guys.